Okay, hello, uh, everybody. Thank you for joining us for another uh, film roundtable session. Uh, this is lucky number 13 in our series. I can't believe it's, it's been that, that, that many and that quick of a time. Um, uh, and as always, if any of you would need to catch up on any of the back episodes, please always go to filmroundtable.org. Um, and it's got all of our back episodes in the vault. So you can catch up on any of these discussions that you may have missed. Um, our guests today are the team behind the recent release uh, this year of Emma. We have with us director Autumn DeWild. There we go, there she is. Uh, production uh, designer, Cave Quinn. And costume designer, Alexandra Byrne. How are you, everybody? I'm glad to have everybody here. Um, let's give a little virtual applause because I know you can't see everybody out there that's watching today and we'd like to get them to give us all back a little bit of love. Um, so before we begin, um, as always, as everybody knows who follows us, these discussions all began um, because of the COVID lockdown and uh, the possibility of all of our friends and contacts, filmmakers were all idled at the same time to come forward and have these discussions. Um, so as always, we like to share the numbers uh, where we are now as this pandemic still moves forward. Um, as of the launch of this episode, we have 865,000 worldwide deaths, and um, 190,000 of these are in the United States alone. Um, so this is still progressing every day, and as everyone knows in our business, you know, as we slowly start to go back, this is uh, something that we're keeping in mind. Um, also, the social uh, protests uh, and have not really, you know, uh, that continue to happen in the streets of our major cities. Um, so as always, we would like to honor all of our black and brown brothers and sisters, as well as our First Nation brothers and sisters whose lives have been taken by the hands of police brutality and all other senseless acts of violence here in the United States and around the world as well. So please everybody just join me in a moment of uh, silence in the virtual space. Thank you for that, everyone. Uh, that means a lot to uh, you know a lot of the people that have been following us. It's something we always want to keep track of as we move forward. Um, all right. So one of the things that we've been I'm already crying. About, <laughs> yeah, it's it's an emotional thing, and it's it's it, you know the amazing thing to me is to understand the numbers from when we started this to where we are. It's like you know it's one of those things we just did it in the first episode, and we continue to do it. And you just see how all of this progresses. Um, uh, but thank you, everyone. And today, one of the things we've discussed uh, at different uh, junctions in the uh, in junctions in the film roundtable is the idea of teamwork, and the idea of the creative team and how it's built. Um, and you know, we firmly believe that filmmaking is a team game, and this is something that we always try the new, young, aspiring filmmakers that come and listen to us. How important the creative team uh, that the director puts together and the trust in that team is. Um, uh, you know, with that in mind, we, we had a brief conversation about this, Autumn, but very curious about, you know, your process in choosing your collaborators um, and being able to surround yourself as you did with Alexandra and Cave. Well, um, 
I uh, thank you, and um, I'm so excited to be here too, and to see those two faces, which I miss very much. Um, but uh, at, you know, I because I started out as a rock photographer and um, really scrappy, like making my own backgrounds, cutting them out of paper, you know, borrowing clothes, putting my clothes on bands. You know, I think that like um, as uh, as I sort of scratched and clawed my way to the sort of bigger jobs and directing videos and the commercials and all of the struggle it took to sort of fight through that, I remembered how, um, you know, powerful it was when, you know, for the, a lot of artists I shot were very sensitive, you know, um, Elliot Smith and Beck and, and, uh, and uh, a lot of uh, really powerful artists who, you know, just couldn't handle kind of like the, the bullshit on set, which was um, pretty bad in the 90s, you know. So I think that um, it became really important for the mental health of my subjects. I felt like a bodyguard, I think, you know, and, um, and I think I tried to keep that as like the teams got bigger and, uh, and uh, luckily I started breaking through, but I still felt like, um, you know, the chemistry of a team is, uh, is an art, building that team is an art form, I think, and it's as important as the ideas and the stars and, you know, and all that stuff. And, um, <clears throat> you know, and, and, and when you choose the right person, you know, the right group of people that you feel will be able to communicate with each other, you have this flow. And I think you also prevent, you know, ideally wasting a lot of money, um, you know, and I, I think I was saying yesterday, you know, because I, for a long, long time, I'm 49, was 49 when I made Emma. So it took a long time to finally make a movie. And I think that, um, you know, I, I just, uh, I, I, what I was saying yesterday is like, basically every time I got a kind of minuscule budget, I tried to make it look like it was double the budget, you know, and, and so that then the next people could think I could handle or that I had been given a bigger budget, you know, um, and, uh, and this was definitely a problem with like, in, in rock photography, I was just there were, I don't, I don't remember there being very many female photographers at the time. And, um, and there were, uh, I mean, I know there were, but they were all struggling like I was. And, and I think, um, uh, you know, um, I heard things like, oh, she can't handle like a high concept thing and, you know, things like that, that they would tell bands so they, to convince them not to use me, <laughs> things like that. And so it became this big thing, you know, but in that I was putting a pressure on my team, you know, and I, because I was a PA also for a long time, I knew what it took when I asked for something. I also you know I also like understood that by asking my team to to make it look like our budget was double what it was that that it was putting tremendous strain on them and so that partnership and trust needed to be there so you know in in um in meeting cave and alex um you know uh I, I was really um because I couldn't use my team from America that I was very that I'm very close with you know this was a really important thing every crew member I felt like it needed to be this like incredible dinner party you know because I knew that I was going to be doing the same thing trying to do a lot more than than you know than, than the budget would allow um which was a, you know a decent budget a great budget for a first film but you know um and I, I I think the the other thing is that I have always because of all of this I have always worked with my team from the beginning uh in a cross 
cross-pollination of information um, because uh, it's very spoiled, I think, to sort of ask for someone to bring a million choices without giving them any direction and then bring half the other team to bring a million choices and then to be dissatisfied that no one's reading your mind and that those things don't go together. You know, so I think that um, what we did is we did a extensive color researching um, and comparing and sharing between Cave's department and Alex's department. And, um, and, and then when Chris Blauva, the VP came in, you know, so that, you know, it doesn't matter if this is the perfect color, you know, uh, silk dress on Anya, if the, 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 the production design isn't supporting that, you know, and, and if the, the DP doesn't understand the colors that need to tell the story. So I guess I would, you know, um, uh, you know, Cave and Alex are so thorough in their, and they're such masters at their craft that, um, that by also giving them permission, I hope, you know, to each other and me problems and victories, then we advanced in a way that I think could only have happened towards the finish line, you know, with that communication. Well, oh, that's, uh, and that brings me to my next question, since you two were so intertwined in helping Autumn uh, do this. Um, I'd like to know from each of you, what is, what, how do you go about in your process? So Alex, with you first, in terms of costume design, helping Autumn tell the story. Um, it's really about, you know, obviously there's the script, but the script is just the script. It's, it's what story Autumn wants to tell from the script. So there's a lot of, um, to begin with, it's words describing visuals, and then you need to begin to pin down those visuals so that you have a visual library that you know works between the two of you. So you're talking about the same thing, you know. It could be that you meet a director and they're saying red and you slowly work out their color blind. That's a very banal example, but it can happen. So you yeah. have to work out what people mean by, by what they're saying. So I usually start by um, obviously meetings, conversations, and then I do big collage mood boards because they're, um, with the internet now, there's so much research you can do. You're inundated with research. So that I love the process where you've got a room, you know, the floor covered with images and you've actually got to distill them down and compose these mood boards. And they're usually about a character or a story point and they're very eclectic. They're not to do with period, but something resonates with that moment. And what I enjoy about them is um, the process of, of composing them with juxtaposition, but also everybody, you know, Autumn Cave, the actors, everybody sees something different. So it's a very dynamic conversation. And yeah. from that, and usually I find it's the accidental tangential conversation where you mm -hmm. go, oh, I get it. So it's about, it's about a lot of talking, visuals, collaboration. And, and what I loved um, in meeting Autumn is that she's so passionate about color. And I'm also um, obsessed with color. Color is the biggest storytelling tool we have. So it yeah. was very exciting to be able to to work in that way. And we all, we also were, and we we I think like because I not everyone understands how many thousands of shades of white there are, you know, or how many thousands of shades of red, or how red is affected by the, you know, um, it it is nice. I was nice that you know, of course, you, you are an expert in color, and and Cave is an expert in color, and so. And then I already understand that. And so I, I think that we were able to skip up the ladder in the conversation quicker 
Uh, I know that's, I'm giving I'm myself a compliment, but you know, I think it does help to understand that. Because, yeah. you know, Cave was providing colors as well. And, and I think, and I think through your love of color, we were able to be braver as well. Yeah. You know? and, and, and you can only collaborate to be able to do that or else you, you necessarily kind of pull back when you're slightly safe. I need to know what color the set is because I need to know whether a character is in, in sympathy with that room, in keeping with that room, or if they want to be out of favor with the room. And so there's, there's a huge yeah. amount of yeah. um, work that can be done without, without any dialogue. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because, you know, as, as we've been trying to teach people and those who don't understand the process, obviously, Kay, for you, in terms of finding locations early yeah. on that help tell the story, how was, how was that process on this movie? Um, it, 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 was a, it was a challenge because we needed to find a, a location that we could transform, you know, with the bold colours that we, we've just discussed. Because um, Emma's character in particular, that uh, you know, in the, in the, that day, their way of expressing their wealth was having the most beautiful colour painted or wallpaper in their room or, or, or elaborate panelling with beautiful frescoes painted or whatever. So we need to find somewhere that um, wasn't constricted by being a museum status building. Or in the UK, we have the National Trust and English Heritage. So that and it's and also challenging to find a building that met, you know, that, that I'm talking about the main location, Hartfield, that hadn't been extensively used by other people on Jane yeah. Austen films. Right. So it was quite a challenge, you know, and, and also the other thing, we needed to find a location where we weren't filming the outside of one house and the inside of another house. And yeah. there was like a flow between the inside and the out. So it had and, to take and, and that was a, that was, a, that was something that I wanted because I wanted to have this sort of mouse trap, especially for Emma and her, her house. You know, I wanted the actors to have this feeling of like, you know, that uh, that, that 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 although she has this big house, she's really, this is really a gilded cage for her, and uh, and it did help, yeah. And that search was extensive, you know. Yeah, and um, and then yeah, so we had um, a fantastic location manager Helen, who coincidentally, I was delighted to know that Autumn had asked to join us. Or, or roughly at the same uh, roughly at the same time, I knew she had joined us because she's a very good friend and a very good location manager. And that's so, that, that's that thing about chemistry. You know, it's like um, you know, a lot of times I was picking people that turned out they loved each other, they knew each other, you know, um, or they became close quickly. They became close. You know, it feels like organizing a really um, intimate dinner party sometimes. You know, yeah. and, and that's a lot of time in the car. You know, and uh, a lot of driving and um and i've uh been it's been hard to find the location managers that i trust because it's you know they're really like it's the beginning of the the, the plotting of the storytelling you know and and yeah. you and you want to as much as cave is able to build worlds from like matchsticks you know we don't want to waste our money fixing things we want to try and build on something that had the right vibe and the right look right i'll, I'll let you keep talking Cave. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, so, so, so the autumn, you know, initiating that, you know, as she was saying, she's obviously very talented at spotting who works with what people work together well and, 
you know, and, and that set that process off it, at a very good pace, basically. So we so we went out with Autumn initially, and then got a really good feel of what she wanted, and then. Helene and I just really scoured kind of short lists of houses and eventually found this amazing main house, which was in um, East Sussex in the UK, um, which the, the owners let us, um, you know, put wallpapers up and repaint things. And, you know, they're very open to us changing things. So we needed to do that very early as well. So that Alex, because she just didn't have hardly any time to make her incredible costumes. Mm -hmm. So we were kind of under a very tight uh, time limit as well. So yeah, because otherwise the costumes weren't going to be ready for the shoot. Yeah. 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 That it was, was a challenge. It's a vicious, it's a circle, isn't yeah, it? Like, yeah, yeah, it was a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> but casting was late, but what we, we did have the advantage, so while you were driving around the countryside, um, I knew very clearly from talking to Autumn that we were going to have to make nearly everything. So, uh, well, <laughs> I was, yeah, well, well I will explain for the people watching. The thing is, is that um, I, you know, I know, I think a lot of people think that I've exaggerated. You know, I'm, I'm sure I'm, cause I love exaggerating everything emotions included, but you know, um, but the 19th century, like Cave said, you know, uh, uh, that was how you showed your wealth was, was, was color, um, you know, and, and uh, we, we've become accustomed to movies that, you know, the sort of like style of a Jane Austen film or a 19th century story being in this faded, uh, creamy, faded patterns, you know, but that's because they were filming in homes that had, you know, 100 year, however, you know, old uh, or renting costumes that had faded with time and stuff, you know, and so there's this impression that it was a creamy, delicate brownish world but it it was it was a lot of like easter egg um no I, I, I think showing that, off but it was um you, you know a lot of there are a lot of original costumes of the period in museums which you can see but it but of course they're old we're making a film set in that time so when you yeah. look at these museum pieces if you look inside at the places that haven't seen the daylight the colors and the color combinations are astounding they're wonderful yeah. they're, you know that it's really vibrant so that that's and you told me something really interesting once that you know when you have access to museum pieces you try and and uh yeah you look, look at in the steam scene. allowance and you can see the real color where the, color also, the, the thing that is it's so exciting about this period was that it was the beginning of of women's magazines and exchange of information mm -hmm. about fashion so there was quite a kind of fashion um, frenzy of homemade, everybody made their own clothes. If you were wealthy like Emma, you had a dressmaker, but it's about the interpretation of the plates, which is very exciting, as was, I guess, the home furnishing cave. So, you know, yeah. it's, very, um, it's a very dynamic period. But but what I was saying about, you know, while Cave was, and Norton were wrecking, we were setting up our, our workshops. And the, the advantage then, because of the time frame was that we had a, a, a textiles department and a dye department. So while Cave was kind yeah. of into yardages for upholstery, we could, um, we could, we made most of our fabrics. We dyed and printed um, to, to be able to use um, vintage pieces and match in with them. So we could be spontaneous yeah. to a we, we also worked um we, we told there was a there each store each character had an arc with their costumes with their hair i mean 
Emma had like a crazy hair story. Like the curls were tight and like doll like, and she's so tight. And then by the end, it's just all hell's breaking loose. You know, everything's fuzzy. And, um, and, uh, she, and, um, and, you know, and that was the same with, you know, each set was helping to tell a story about since I was trying to make, I was trying to uh, remind people that a big part, you know, Jane Austen is, uh, was wrote great comedy and also was um, great satire on the class system. And so in order to, to make fun of the class system, I had to clarify the different stages of wealth. And that was, that was a lot of discussion about, you know, uh, about that and also identifying characters quickly because it was, an it was a lot, uh, very much an ensemble cast in some ways and then identifying their homes quickly and, um, and um, um, with color and, and then the seasons because Emma takes place over a year. So <coughs> that, um, that uh, book that, uh, Alex made which is amazing you know it's about this big and we had it on the floor with like swatches of like this is what this color you know eggplant looks and silk this is what it looks like in this wool fabric this is and then we're like then we're going through the four seasons and Cave and her team you know are, are putting wallpaper samples down and we start to build this kind of bird's eye view of like a color world on the floor uh, you know in these meetings and what it did is I think it just it, when I when we do that, I think it really helps everyone have the confidence to see the variations on those colors. Like, oh, there's so many. If once you have that like sample to compare and cross over and stuff, then you go, okay, this all these different shades of this color can work in here. And and um and my pitch for the film, you know, I did that with my pitch. It was a physical pitch. It was a, a stacks of cards with pictures, and I spread the whole thing out on the table and talked through my pitch for the film and. And we kept using that as the as a sort of like visual Bible to keep going back to and and you know because it's not just important the teamwork between the heads of department it's important that they have the tools to communicate to all of their teams you know and all the people running around trying to find you know this this vintage piece have this made blah 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 you know though that communication can be like the telephone game where things can just get so far away from the original desire, it comes back as a totally different thing. Sometimes that's magic and sometimes that's a disaster. So I think the more little visual tools that we have for connecting within uh, the process of prep, you know, then, um, then the more freedom and power than everyone that works under them has. Yeah. I think it's right. about, as he, as he said, or making the, the very kind of strong foundation of the, the film we want to make. Um, because as he said, we have to then communicate to our departments. But also, it, you know, the last thing I would want it to sound like is that it is this fantastically well-oiled machine. It's not <laughs> because we're working at such speed. There is, there is total chaos. chaos, yeah. Yeah, but out of the chaos, providing you have that clear framework of, of of the visuals, then then you are also open to the kind of the moments of fantastic serendipity where there's you know just something happens and you go, yeah, that's that's really exciting. That works. We can use yeah. that. So, but you have to know what what, what your film is to be able to to operate yeah, at that speed and, and that freely. Yeah, and I had spent so many years trying to prove in my younger years trying to prove that what that my weird ideas would work and you know it it was when I started uh building teams that could help me communicate that 
I started getting more support and also choosing better producers. You know, um, uh, I have a great producer that was my, in, in LA, that was my boss. I was her PA. She's my mentor, you know, and it was by having her, Jessica Cooper, by having her as my, and she's, she produces my commercials here, by having her as my, um, as my production mentor and someone I could call and ask advice when I had much weaker producers for those lot of low budget videos, you know, um, in the early days, which were pure chaos, you know, by slowly building a team of trust with people, you know, I was learning also how to empower um, uh, people to sort of pursue these kind of ridiculous ideas that only work when you see them. And uh, by the time I got to Emma, you know, I, I did have to fight for quite a few things in the script. And luckily, Eleanor Catton, the writer, um, you know, uh, knew how to write visually. So I had to fight for some things that take up time that had no dialogue in it, you know, and that was like the girls walking by in the red capes, you know, and, 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 uh, and once everyone saw it, they were like, oh, you know, and so, uh, you know, and that was also helped by Alex building these capes that were different you know they're sort of matched but they were sort of different you know and you know it starts getting the producers excited about how that might look you know and cave and helene uh in looking for the uh, the locations with me and finding something that the knowing what the those places would look like what the trees might look like cave no is know so much about the landscape and and plants in England and, and how they change in the season so she's walking me through like okay when we're filming this the trees are going to look like this you know all that stuff is color 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 and then Joe Wallet my beautiful producer on on um, Emma you know again was like a part of my heart like Jessica Cooper is in Los Angeles because I require that kind of trust and uh, and someone who is not afraid of me and can push but also is trying to picture what I'm saying because a lot of the story I tell is often in things that on paper kind of sound stupid yeah, you know a, and yeah and that's really, why that team is so important and, and 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 having people help you fight for those things because you're totally right it is those small little things that you see and understand like you're referencing the woman with the red capes that become such an interesting you know thread within within the movie you know but it, it's hard to see it on the page you know so i mean like i shot many years ago i shot fiona apple for extraordinary machine and i just had oranges left over because we had you know no money for food on those jobs you know so <laughs> there was a bag of oranges and she was wearing this beautiful white dress and i threw the oranges on the grass behind her if i had pitched that be like i'm gonna shoot okay okay guys record label people i'm gonna shoot fiona apple in a white dress with oranges on the grass and they'll be like what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> you know? so I did learn that to be careful about who I told my visual ideas to and that it didn't necessarily mean because they couldn't picture it it didn't mean you know that they were insulting my taste <laughs> I had to find ways to sort of ease people into some of these things that you know, it helped all those challenges earlier in finding ways to communicate to each part of the department on in their language. Well, I have to say one thing, Autumn yeah. is a fantastic communicator. Amazing. Um, you know, obviously, she chose us for whatever reasons, you know, and I just felt so 
you know, a, a straight line to, to exactly what she felt and wanted. And Alex obviously did, Alex did as well. And yeah. so it just made it incredibly, I don't, easy is not the right word, but straightforward to kind of push forward on her ideas, you know? Thank you. That means a lot to me. You know, I think it's not fair to expect, um, listen, just because I've made, I, it was my first movie, but I made a bunch of things that could sort of show that I love color. But, you know, all professionals are conditioned to remove their own taste to serve a project. Like this is the army like mentality where we're like, just you, you, you leave your taste at the door and you get in and you do what the director wants or, you know, or what the client commercials, especially me as a director, a lot of times I'm like, okay, I'm just going to leave that there and I'm going to just be of service to this and get, get the job done and try, you know, so in a way I have to give permission, you know, I had to give Cave and Alex and their team permission, like by explaining the boundaries they show me something and i i have to say it's okay to go brighter it's okay to go bigger or this is too much like i have to start building the boundaries to my uh to my vision for this so that they know also get comfortable with going beyond it because they're professionals so they definitely i'm sure i'm not i don't want to speak for you but i'm sure you've done jobs where you're like I'm just completely pretending to be this person and that I'm, I normally am not. And I'm going to just create this vision that is not my taste, you know? Right. I mean, sorry, I don't want to out it. But all that, but all that communication <laughs> comes, comes back to what you started saying autumn about, you know, communication is the key to how to get the best spend for your money because it means yeah. that we're not wasting time getting options or versions that don't work. We know what yeah. we're doing. And you're enabled, and mm -hmm. and I think everybody wants to do that. It's disheartening for everybody to to work really hard on something and for it not to be used. Right down to you know the people stitching and embroidering. You know they spent weeks doing something, and they go to the cast and crew and go, "But where was it?" And you go, "Well, you know." So it's. it's I remember really everything we didn't use with like yeah. pay, great pain, but um, we did use almost everything. But no, I, we did, we did but, <laughs> and more and more, <laughs> and reused it and made it something yeah. else. That's always yeah. the way. Yeah, yeah, and sometimes there is waste, and so I sort of feel like it's like antibiotics. You know, you like don't take them all the time so that they'll work. <laughs> And I just like, so the, the thing is, is as, as the crisis of shooting and the schedule and everything gets closer and closer, you kind of need to, to like save up, like you can't cry wolf, you know, you got to like, okay, now I don't know what the fuck I want and I need you to help me and give me some choices. Like I, I that is a special privilege you know, that you should save. <laughs> That's my advice, you know, and it's also okay to admit I think it's powerful to admit that you don't know, you know, exactly what you're doing all the time. It, um, you, you have to make the whole team feel like you are the captain of the ship and that you're not going to just flounder around and leave everyone to drown in their own departments. But it's also powerful, I think, you know, to admit um, that you're overwhelmed because sometimes leaving that, you know, I think I probably both with Alex and with Cave, there was moments where I was like, it's like, I was just waiting for the muse to come in, you know, <laughs> like, I don't know. And then they would look at me and then I'd be like, I know. <laughs> you know? That's always the wonderful thing I've always found in my career when you 
are part of a team where you know the director the leader is 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 empowering you to be inspirational and it's not to do what they are saying it's to do something better and in those moments be able to present something like you know and 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 that is that is that really makes you feel your self-worth as a member of the team and with a director that gives you that type of power yeah yeah and you know you're yeah the ad is very important deborah Saban is such an incredible ad and 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 you know this is that if you're if you're not like there's a lot of secrets passed between the director and the ad like oh, what the fuck do i do? i don't know like what is, is she freaking out is she crying i don't you know like that, that that trust is like oh my if you don't trust your ad you're so fucked you know because you can't there's so many people and you just can't go directly i'm very controlling i hope in a positive way you know and i've worked on that over the years to not be controlling for the sake of it or 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 you know, it's better to be like, yes, my dad said, you know, when you say no, the improv is over. Um, and, uh, you know, you should be saying yes, but, you know, and so building on something, you know, um, but I think that that goes for it. So it matters to me who the PAs are because, and, and you know, Maurice Langan, our amazing uh, hair and makeup uh, designer, you know, if her team, isn't right they're the first ones in contact with the actors i mean that those people could fuck the whole day up you know uh if they're they've got a bad vibe you know uh, if there's a darkness like you know seeping in and negativity you know they're they're our therapists our healers you know they're helping the actors deal with a lot of their fear and and um and helping them giving them space to prepare for that day so the PA that brings them their coffee, you know, this is why we have to protect everyone on set, you know, and especially in these COVID times, but I've always felt like the valuing, valuing the life of everyone on set um, is, is, is also the right thing to do, but it is also cost effective. <laughs> yeah. It is I, also I, powerful, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I found it to be a career length, lengthening event. Somebody told me when I ver, ver, first started out as an AD, take care of your PAs because they're going to be your producers tomorrow. And I can't tell you how many mm -hmm. PAs who came through my system be, then became line producers or UPMs or just producers who have hired me because they thought I you know, was a great human being who did a great job, you know? And, and I've heard that I've never even met you in person. And I've heard your about your reputation, you know, it is a small world in some ways. And I was a PA and the, I am so grateful to the, I should have died many times. I mean, being a PA, <laughs> PA in the nineties was like, oh my God, like nobody cares if you live or die. You know, I think Jessica Cooper I'm talking about was a <laughs> producer that I felt like actually cared if I made it through the job you know and because of that I worked double time for her and you know and it's a testament to her too that she is now my producer on commercials and that that partnership you know that that value that she gave me I gave back as much I hope you know and and that forged a working friendship that still is thriving and that is and and that that's how you learn how to build a team you know and a lot of photographers ask me young photographers ask me for advice on networking so i'm like it's not about networking if you can't get your friends to trust you when you take their picture then just start there you know like make them feel good about the 
the photo you've taken of them and then build out from there. Trust is networking, not, you know, that bullshit, like, you know, showing off, you know, trust is the true like heart networking. Like people look out for you 10 years later, they're like, I remember working with you, you know, and I had a teacher once that told me, I didn't go to college really. I went to drama school. It's a long road. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the people are like, ask me how I'm like, Oh my God. You know, I studied ballet for 14 years. And then I I was like, became a photographer only because I was free. You know, I knew how to do it because my dad took pictures. (laughs) Well, this is never, and this is an interesting thing because we've touched on this, you know, about life experiences that lead you into, into, you know, how you are now. I mean, Cave, I'm curious, you know, and you, Alex, as well. I mean, obviously, in your positions now, and this is something we always try to explain to everyone, you didn't start out as a costume designer. You didn't start mm-hmm. out as a production designer. So what is it, you know, in your particular journey? Because every road is different. There is no roadmap to get from the beginning to where you are now. But mm-hmm. in your particular case, you know, and each one of you, life stories, your life experience that helped you most becoming, you know, the profession that you are. Um, well, I, I started, um, I, I always wanted to go to art school. I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I did foundation and then I, I actually went and studied fashion at St. Martin's back in the early 80s. And um, I discovered, you know, I just loved design, you know, clothes, fashion design I sort of fell into. Um, and while I was there, I realised that I wasn't really wanting to work in the fashion business. So I dabbled a bit in friends' uh, film school films and uh, doing costume, funnily enough. And then I sort of sort of moved into doing costume as an assistant and on sort of uh, short films and all sorts of different things. And then on that progression, I realised I wanted to try other things as well because I just love design. I love, I just wanted to see if I could do production design. So uh, after I, I sort of went back to the drawing board, so to speak, I learned how to draft. Um, I've always been interested in every aspect of design anyway. So I just, you know, studied more about architecture. Um, and then I got a job as an art department assistant after working on another, lo- I did loads of film school films helping out people. And on this particular job, I met this lovely man, Jamie Leonard. Um, he's a lovely, he's a designer, production designer, and he, he asked me to come and work on a job that he was doing, and from then on, I kind of just made my way up, um, doing loads of pop promos, where you just do everything, you know, you, you used to build the set, paint the set, just do everything, um, and then I did a short, a few short films, and then eventually, um, uh, Andrew McDonald, who worked with me on, I did a film called The Long Day Closes, which I was art director on, Terence Davis film. Um, uh, and um, I met Andrew McDonald, and he was developing script for Shallow Grave, and then it all came together. They asked me to do it, and that was it as a designer, and that was me. That was it, you, get that, you get that one crack at something, and then you're the next. It I think a lifetime. It's like with Alex, she's a thesis. I mean, she's she's a designer as well. We completely, we we did the opposite. That's amazing. (laughs) I trained as an architect and and worked in the theatre designing sets and costumes for for years. And um, in England, it's it's very, very hard. I have 
a lot of children. It's very hard to bring up a family when you're earning so little in the theatre. And the, the directors I was working with were starting to move into film. And uh, I just kind of went with them. I did a few small productions where I production designed and costume designed. And that, uh, I've just found that so unsatisfactory because you just become this kind of delegating machine. You don't get that kind of real payoff moment of really being able to take anything as far as you want it to or to see it going that far. You're just, you're just running departments. Um, and I just became, I really loved clothes as storytelling. So I, I moved, I moved to the costume side. Mm. Isn't that funny, Cave? I yeah, didn't know it's that. really weird. Because I think- You must I'll... have crossed somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> you know what, your, your architecture, uh, you, that makes so much sense with your costumes. They, they're literally yeah. like little buildings, you know, like- <laughs> Look, the, they move better than little buildings. No, I'm sorry. It's <laughs> look, meant to be a compliment. Yeah, but this, lots, the, lots of fashion designers were trained architects. Yeah. You know? Well, it's a design process. It makes no difference. You know, it's buildings yeah. or, or clothes. It's yeah, a, it's I think design. it's the design. And I think, you know, as you're, you're designers, aren't you, ultimately? Yeah. And you understand form, shape, colour. Yeah, it's kind of comprehensive. That, but also, like you were a punk, that makes it difference. Yeah, I was I a punk. Feel like oh, I, and, and my production designers, Adam and Tina, here in Los Angeles, that I love. You know, yeah. Adam was a punk. I feel I told Cave when I started working with her, like maybe I can only work with punk rock <laughs> production designers. And then when Alex told me the story about seeing B David Bowie, I was like, that's it. Because you know? <laughs> uh, what's your, your isn't it like? Didn't you? Tell, I don't want to ruin. Snuck out of school. I snuck out of school and went to the Ziggy Stardust concert, and oh I, God. you know, it was a, a life-changing moment. I could not go. Oh my gosh. How you know, brilliant. putting your school uniform on after that concert and trotting back <laughs> into school is wow. not really... And I, and I, I think me coming from rock and roll, uh, now I'm being really like, uh, like a rock, an indie rock snob, but, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, and then Chris Blauvel, um, the, I, okay, I'm getting somewhere with this. I, I really, I, I, I love, have always loved period films, good and bad, you know, I don't know what it is, you know, and, um, and, and so I, the, having that punk rock, that rock and roll background on everybody, Chris Blauvelt, you know, is my DP, uh, um, who's a genius, does works with Kelly Riker and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and did the mid 90s, did mid 90s, um, and, and so many amazing films and a Gus Van Sant film, worked with Gus Van Sant, some, you know, and, uh, and uh, he's a he's part of my LA skate, you know, punk, like punk past. Not that I was, but he was. And uh, and so I, I felt like us coming in with that like punk background, you know, or the rock and roll background. Um, it I, I feel like it helped because we weren't we weren't falling into the traps of That's like true. this yeah. is what a period film should be. And also, we were sensitive to the. There's a lot of weird shit in 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 history that is not talked about as much in, as we're, we all know. And finding out, you know, and people are finding out more. But you know, um, I think uh, you know the the strangeness of of history is so fascinating to me, and the strangeness yeah. of human behavior in the past, and the the you know the the, the habits and the the the, and things you know all of that was included in our dialogue about this and in instead of just sort of jumping into a program of how these movies are made and I do think that helped and 
for anyone that's not sure exactly what they want to do in the industry, I, I, I think that wandering is valuable, you know, and I'm, I'm giving a speech here from my, um, fireplace, but you know, I, I've wandered through so many different things and, and, uh, and I think that I brought all of that experience into Emma and I hope more movies and I hope I'll keep taking pictures, but you know, um, but I think that, that um because i studied ballet for 14 years and 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 i failed at that because i was too tall and it wasn't good enough you know that was so valuable that was like that emma is sort of choreographed like a ballet um i mean on purpose you know i wanted there to be there was a clockwork theme you know or so that when they broke the choreography then it was another storytelling tool for showing the intensity of emotion you know and sort of seeing how each character was trapped you know, in their, um, their world and their position in society. And so, you know, I think I've rambled onto a lot of topics here. Well, I'll, I'll if there's any questions, I'll. <laughs> no, 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 but I mean, it, it is, you know, it, 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 it is amazing because we all are kind of like, you know, the added events that is our life, like helps us bring experience and style that, you know, define us like into our positions, right? As people, as, as filmmakers, as all of us are filmmakers. And, you know, that's always the thing we always try and explain to, you know, young and aspiring people is that, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's a meandering path and that's okay. There's nothing yeah, yeah. wrong with that because that's just going to strengthen all of your boundaries, you know, in terms of, you know, what you're seeing and what you're bringing to a project. You know, there's, everyone is always so, so anxious to be like, no, I got to get there now. Like, yeah. Let, let the experience show you when you're there. You know, the thing about being a PA and being supposedly the unimportant one on set is that people say the craziest shit in front of you because they think you're invisible. And I was six foot two at the time and they still thought I was invisible and unimportant. And because of that, I witnessed a very powerful male, of course, director, um, bluffing. And it hadn't occurred to me that men bluffed. It just hadn't occurred to me before. And it was one of the most valuable things to have learned as a PA besides understanding what, what happens when you ask for some bullshit from someone, you know, um, like what they have to go through to do it. That's very valuable. And I recommend everyone do the hard lifting themselves. So they, so they, you know, to, to avoid, you know, I mean, I can't avoid being spoiled sometimes, you know, um, you can't, it's like, it happens and I'll, I'll always keep working on it. But the thing is, is that I didn't know before I saw this director, this directing a commercial, faking it and then confessed that he was faking it, didn't know what the fuck he was doing. I, it just had never occurred to me that, that, that you could be in a position of power and, and, and not know everything. And I, that was very encouraging, <laughs> you know, and I, I've told this story to a, a million times to people I know, but I was, the first photography job that I got paid for was just shooting stills on a commercial. And I learned photography from my dad because it was just in the family, you know, uh, I didn't really ever go to school for it. Um, so I didn't really know why I could take pictures. It was just a, a osmosis or something, you know, and, and, and my dad's influence and stuff, but I called him desperate because a, a client had asked me like what type of camera I was shooting with and I panicked because I was like beyond a couple of questions I really didn't know how to answer anything about my my gear I called him and I was like dad 
they're gonna figure out I don't know what the fuck I'm doing and he's like you went to acting school right and I was like yeah he's like act like a fucking photographer (laughs) 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 he hung up on me (laughs) (laughs) and I was like okay (laughs) okay I'm gonna act like a photographer and and hopefully the the, the muse will come (laughs) I won't fuck this up (laughs) That's brilliant advice. That's brilliant advice. Oh, my God. Um, you know, one of the things I'm, I'm curious about, and with your, you know, photography background, uh, and when you're, when you're looking at sets or when you're looking at locations, are you active with your camera and, or, or is it your mind's eye that you're, you're that you're experiencing the event in? Um, I tend, you know, uh, you can be fooled by photos. So um, in a way, I'd rather take iPhone photos because it's like you're blatantly not shooting with the right lenses. And I don't really use, I, I, you know, the benefit of having been a photographer is that I've had to, and a film photographer um, well before digital, I, I had to, you know, you have to picture it before you can shoot it. And when you shoot it, you no one knows if you did it right until you get the film back. So besides Polaroids. And so that experience is very useful because I know how to not only, I understand what, I, I understand, I understand what my DP, uh, which most of the time is Chris Blavel, um, I, I understand what the challenges will be based on the existing lighting situation in the house you know and so that helps like again like we're we're advanced in the conversation about what it would mean if we if we shoot in this room and whether it only looks good a certain time of day or whether we have the budget for the lights we would need to be consistent about the time of day and all that stuff when and I can imagine what it would look like dark can imagine what it looked like with sunlight pouring in and 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 that does really help that I have that um, and that the other thing is that because I spent years as a photographer having to oversell what I could do also because I was a woman. And so there was a lot more doubt cast on my abilities. Um, I had to learn how to really explain with authority what I was going, thought I could accomplish here and what, and also just choose the, the best time of day to shoot it when there was no budget for light. So you know, I, I guess it's a long-winded answer. Is like it, no, it's, it, a, it's a legitimate answer. I mean, it is. It's a you know, it, it's a background that helps you be able to visualize. You know, because the, the the interesting thing is, I remember, and I've said this story before, and you know, we've all been there when we were before the digital filmmaking age, right? The the DP was a Bengali, right? Who had this device who mm-hmm. like taking these measurements, and nobody really knew what it was going to look like, you know, and the film stocks, the way the emulsion, what they would do with the stop, the pushing, yeah. the pulling, you know, so, which is very different than now because now we, we all see it on set, right? We all see it there, you know, in the dit or on the monitor, you know, there, there's a lot that comes up and you can get pretty close to how it's going to be. But, you know, for colors of wardrobe and, and, and set design and everything like that, you it know, helps. We, were, we were kind of entrusting a person who was, you know, exposing for it yeah the 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 costume designer and the production designer can be very much betrayed by the wrong lighting it does it you know my dad told me when i was younger is like he's like nothing is harder than lighting jewelry because it 
looks like a cheap piece of shit unless you light it right it doesn't look like a diamond I was like I'm not interested you know and he's like but it was (laughs) I don't want to have to do that but mad respect to the people that do that because um you so so I I the the translation to what I'm saying is actually that it doesn't matter how much cave has to spend on a room. If that room is not light lit, uh, lit right? Um, it looks like a cheap piece of shit. It looks like no one spent any money. It looks like a bunch of cardboard pieces. Like, you know, it's just lighting is the glue, the magic, you know, um, because, uh, you know, the, 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 a lot of young photographers who um, work in natural light first, I think it's a really great advantage that you, you know, like this didn't look good at noon and it looked amazing at four, like knowing that is very helpful, you know? Um, And, and then, then they have to learn if they become professional photographers, then they have to learn how to light something. So it looks like that. And that is harder. And that's harder when your budget is small. And so when your budget is small, you have to choose a location that is giving you, I don't know how, like, I don't, if, if, if you've ever been on a set that was built for a movie, uh, I'm talking not to you guys, but, you know, to people out there, like, there's this little um, fake town, a Mexican town in LA that's been in, an, I've, I saw it in a Beyonce, <laughs> yeah, I've seen it, and I, oh, I can always recognize it, because it, they were nice to me when I was younger, I, like, somehow worked my way in to get a deal if I didn't take up too much space, you know, to do photo shoots there, and what, it was built so that they could so if you walk around it it's it looks like a village but it's built to face the sun to maximize shooting time right um uh so you know um when i'm looking for locations and my budget is small and even when my budget on emma i still want to be able to maximize what the natural light can give us even though we did have a wonderful budget for lighting you know because then you have like a little clock you know you're you're like where the schedule becomes you know we'll use the natural light here we'll supplement here when it looks like crap we'll go there you know and and sometimes even just having an understanding of how beautiful it looks at four o'clock in that room just gives you something to copy you know like I want that lighting and then that then that let's say she she designs a dress that's eggplant that's a very silk or something that is very different with like cascading light through the windows or someone just bouncing light off the ceiling you know if it's wool or if it's silk that's different the way the shine on the fabric the way the folds show whether the folds show whether it all goes black whether you don't see the detail at all you know like these are all decisions that i think are important to make and you know, and, and, uh, and together, you know, and, and if you don't know that stuff, that's the thing you need to make sure you're, you're, you have, you know, I do have this photography, advanced photography experience, but if you don't know that, you need to really find your other with a DP, which is important anyway, you know, um, who you trust is like on that and understands that and is like you feel comfortable with asking questions and then and your other your team feels comfortable talking to the dp about that because that's going to affect the colors they choose well it's it's interesting and this comes back to the uh the trust in the team aspect because one thing we were talking about uh, you know having done uh, lots of period movies i know it's always important to be able to shoot and test wardrobe and color palettes and this that and the other 
But I know because of your schedule and how things went, we discussed this. Alex, you didn't have much time to really get, okay, here's the full wardrobe. Let's, so there, you're definitely throwing things. There was a huge level of trust there because mm-hmm. as you're saying, if Alex, if, you know, if an actor was coming for the first time, Autumn, you're seeing it on the day, there yeah. had to be this trust that it was going to work, right? Yeah, because fittings photos are not accurate, you know, and I, that, that's also, it's really important to know that as a director, that like, you know, that when they send you a photo from a fluorescent room on an iPhone, like, there's no magic in that photo, you know, you, ha- you, you have to help the team out in, in, in imagining what that means, you know, um, before you say, I think this is why a lot of things get um, oversimplified and drained of color because people get scared by those photos, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I really, I have a huge resistance to, to sharing fitting photos because they're, they're our work in progress. They're just a very mm-hmm. brutal noting system and recording of what the problems are. Yeah, and the color's not accurate against a white wall. That's not how that color is going to look. No, and and it's not lit, and and the actor doesn't have the wig on or the hair, or you and know, the actor's doing it going like this. Yeah, it's a very it's a very technical process. So I wish I had the pictures here of what we did though, because by had throwing the fabrics and the wallpaper and the you know down on the ground and taking pictures of that, it so basically what what he's saying is that. Um, that often the the moment we were about to shoot was the first time I was seeing the time you some of the costumes. No, no, most of them. I mean, we only really camera tested Anya in a in a couple and a couple of the men because there yeah. just wasn't the time. No, so, this is because this is like this is the deal. You know, like if I wanted the kind of costumes that we were going to do, which were, you know, like that that's the that was the deal so she could have accomplished a different type of costume making with more advanced you know uh you know a little bit more advanced you know if we were maybe if the desire was something simpler but because we were going are we reaching so high in the detail of the clothing this was what i was agreeing to and that is where trust comes in i was i was trying we did such thorough color and fabric and seasonal and character planning. Um, and, and, and I just have to keep including Marie Slangen for hair because that, that is also like, if the collar is to here, the hair has to, you know, with those curls and the, all that stuff, it's all the hair design is part of the costume design. Um, and the bonnets, you know, there's no point in Marie's doing a fantastic hairdo and then I walk in with a bonnet on the day and go well that's not going to work so yeah so again, the communication between Maurice and I was was huge she would come into fitting she'd have fitting photos she'd have color swatches we'd, you know yeah. that that had to work and, and even going into the makeup trailer we'd go we'd get together every morning just to check that yeah. we hadn't had to make any changes and, that we're going to, to and what them. happened with that preparation was that each actor was the final piece in the puzzle because Cave and her team um, had, you know, um, had, you know, it was like this beautiful orchestra of visuals. And but that doesn't matter if it didn't work with the costumes that were walking in. You know, if Anya's in this like crazy, amazing dress and she sits on this like chair that just, just doesn't work with it. You know, it's, and it's not about things 
matching at all. It's like, and that's the beauty. That's kind of the magic of it. When you start going like, uh, she's out of place here. She's, she's, she, she makes the whole room sing. She disappears into this, the grandeur of this room. She's the, the brightest thing in this room. These are all things that we talk about. And, and, and then, and I think that's why I could trust. And, and again, I'm very detail oriented and very controlling, as I said, and I hope a positive way, you know, there's a point where you have to trust your team to just that yeah. they're, they're going to do it. And I, the, that, that practice comes from my team here, Shirley Karada, my costume designer and Adam and Tina, my production designers here, that is training. I've trained myself and they're my friends too you know, and learning how to treat your friends is a really, when they're helping you out, you know, in the early days, like we came up together, you, uh, you have to learn how to treat your friends. And if you learn how to treat your friends when you're working with them, right, you'll know how to treat your team, right. And, and to, you know, I could have with the wrong behavior pitted Alex Cave and Maurice against each other. And, and that's very dangerous for a production, you know, yeah. yeah. No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And a lot of it, I mean, you know, the thing is for those who, you know, as people are learning the process, you know, a lot of it, the building blocks, you, as you said, you start with cave and then, you know, and, and her design work and her color work, you know, that's going to build the tapestry that actors are going to get to play in front of, you know, so then, yeah. you know, it, it really is a handoff, you know, and that was the interesting thing for, you know, having done, cause I've done my fair share of period movies and, that is the thing that struck me in watching Emma is there is a very, the colors have a contemporary feel to them in the way that, that, that they respond, right? That they're, they're alive and vibrant, which is what you guys have talked about versus what a lot of people have come to know in period movies where things are drab and, and somewhat at a loss for color because, you know, we're either, you know, it's very old costumes or replicating old things rather than getting to the research, the source of what those colors really were. I've found it particularly interesting lately, even though it's it, 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 it's a strange exercise, but there have been people with with AI that have been colorizing like um, move, not move, but like like movies from like the 1900s, you know, where we've yeah. only seen yeah. things in War films that have been colored, yeah. They shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> no, 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 but it's interesting. I don't know how the AI, but it's interesting to look at it in a world- That's true, yeah, that's true. We're never used to seeing any- yeah moving images from that time frame in color it's always been black and white and you take and you and as an audience member you you just become used to it oh it, it was a colorless world right for yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. you know but then when you start to see historical record of oh wow look at oh my god look yeah at well uh actually uh, that's a really interesting subject that i'm fascinated by because um you know if you sh if you if you grew uh we're raised shooting black and white film like i was you start to learn as those guys really knew what colors you need to create, you know, when someone's like, Oh, can you just turn it black and white later? It's like, um, yeah, well you can tell when someone's done that because you know, uh, red, uh, like a vampy actress in an old movie with red lipstick, that's not red lipstick. If she was wearing red lipstick, it would look like she was wearing skin color. Like, um, uh, you know, red turns like a kind of lighter shade of gray, you know? Um, so, um, uh, and I, w I would love to have seen, I, you know, in the, the sort of early Hollywood days, because they were pretty goss, I think. They had to wear kind of more blue lipstick to come up to have that thing that translated as red lipstick. And, 
you know, the colors would have been chosen purely for how they translated to black and white, not based on fashions of the time. It was like this, in order for this to look like that shade, you know, this darkness, we have to use this blue color, you know, and if in order to make this seem like it's a, she's a frothy pink, you know, fairy or whatever, it has to be this color and this sparkles more than that, you know, and, and, um, and so uh, that, that's like, for me, like the, the, the translation, you know, when you're, when you grow up shooting film, you had to learn that you had to know that um, uh, if you were trying to achieve a certain sort of dramatic effect with, you know, especially in rock and roll, someone, um, you know, so, um, but uh, it's really in color, such an interesting storytelling tool. And, and um, in a, in, you know, uh, the Dane Austin is a very wordy dialogue um, but it's so much about what's not said too. And so I was relying on the talent of my actors to give me one layer of storytelling. I was relying on the talent of Cave's team to give me another layer of story. This person, this person is oppressed by their environment. This person adores this environment. You know, they come to life outside, you know, and, and I'm relying on Alex to do another layer of storytelling. Like, you know, sometimes Anya, any Taylor Joy playing Emma, you know, she had these colors that there was one point where I think when she was first pouring tea for uh, Harriet, uh, Alex had designed this collar that when she leaned forward just did this little, you know, that was like a snake dance or something, you know, and a lot of times the costumes that Alex designed were were telling us what was really going on that Emma was behaving very badly or that or Emma's vanity or that Emma was now in love or you know um and uh and and that really helped because like Mr. Knightley for instance with the the collars um you know, I'll, you explain better than I can uh Alex I think this is very interesting the, collar, the collars were it was a, a sign of class if you could afford clean laundry and if you could have your collars starched so the, the aristocratic men had these very high starched collars and their ballet would tie their cravat, which was also starched, and their neck would be right up and they would literally crack the starch as they lowered, as they lowered their necks into it. So we had a, on our costume truck, we had, <laughs> we did a lot of um, tests, some of which were disastrous as to the level because we were using real starch as opposed to spray on or, or quick starch. So we, we were doing tests as to um, how far but, we could go with the starch and what starch would endure for the day and what would just have the right amount of break in, I think. And I think now if the actors didn't trust Alex, that would be a problem. You know, yeah. there's a lot of, a lot of, it's fine. The, I mean, everyone can make their period movies how they want to, it's fine. This isn't a judgment, but because I wanted to, I wanted to humanize the characters and to show them struggling within the rules. I wanted the rules to be pretty hard and fast. Now. That means that all the men had sore ears from their <laughs> fucking coffee. We did have a little bit of, uh, I think some of the starch got sort of razor sharp. We had a couple of, um... <laughs> you know, and, and so God bless Johnny Flynn, you know, especially because oh, he was supposed to be, you know, top tier, um, his character. And, but without that trust in Alex, we wouldn't have then achieved him losing his mind and just tearing it off. And, you know, because he, this is like, he plays a character that was 
was raised to, to, to wear this, to be comfortable in it. It's, you know, it's like this quote unquote good breeding that like it wasn't uncomfortable for him. And so then we could achieve him like losing his mind later and tearing his collar off and just like laying down and being overwhelmed. We, we earned that by having him be so comfortable in something for a modern man is very uncomfortable. <laughs> And so he he was in paint most of the time, you know, I think his also boots and his collars, you know. Part of the, you know, what, talking about the communication, the, the, the communication that I gain from the actors in a fitting, because they're working with autumn, they're working in music rehearsals, dance rehearsals, and they bring all that into the fitting. So there is, you know, it's, uh, Chinese whisper is the wrong word. There is a communication line where we can grow ideas together. Yeah. Um, and help each other. Way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and also understand, you know, this Autumn's talked a lot about trust. There is a huge, there's a huge amount of trust in fittings too. Um, yeah. And um, what you learn about people, what they're not telling you, what they do tell you, you know, and, and all that comes into how you can develop the character mm -hmm. that they're going to play by using what they bring. So it's yeah, if, if I don't have a costume designer that the, my actors or musicians or whatever trust, and that's something that Shirley Karad is so amazing at here, you know, um, I lose, I'm, I'm lost, it's, it's, I've lost by the time they're in front of my camera, you know, like, because um, it's very private what people like and don't like about themselves. And I think a great costume designer um, anticipates that, or maybe they're just having a bad day and knows how, you know, the actor is being in, the actors in my movie were being very brave in that they really accepted the roles. You know, I'm sure the most of the bitching was also filtered by the costume department and the makeup and hair, you know, and, and they're my therapists, you know, they're the people I've hired to help the actor get to a stronger place before they get on set, you know, and so when I hear about people being by anyone on the crew, actors, you know, and, and or by the director or using humiliation as a tactic to get a result, you know, it makes me enraged because I feel that I'm now veering into another topic, but you know, that ta humiliation and, and uh, is a shortcut. That is the easiest way to get emotion out of someone. That is the easiest way to make someone vulnerable. It is the easiest way sometimes to make someone seem sexual. That is a fucking shortcut. And if you can't do your job without, without humiliating someone, you know, then you're not good enough in my opinion. And that goes down to the costume designers, to their team, to the makeup and hair, to production designers, to the DP, to the director, to the ADs, to the way they're treating the actors, you know, and, 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 and you, you, they, they have to be led. They have to be told what to do, you know, a lot of times, but it has to be with respect and, you know, and so um, I, I, since I guess I feel it's okay to say this because this is about trust, you know, um, you know, there isn't one person that deserves respect more than another, you know, and sometimes when someone's behaving badly, it's because there's a lot, there's something else going on. And so I think having a team I can trust to deal with that and communicate the important stuff to me, not just like, oh, she's trouble and all that bullshit. You know, it's like, I think she's having trouble because of this, you know, that is a thing that then 
you know, the information that comes through that instead of gossip becomes useful and helpful to help these actors and the people on our team to make it through the day, you know, and do their best job. You're, you're going to say she or he is having trouble, Autumn. She or he, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's not <laughs> yeah, just, no. I'm, yeah. <laughs> no, no, I, I actually just because, I, uh, yeah, it's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. sorry. No, yeah, it's true. And, and, and I think that also is something that, that um, gets overlooked. Yeah, a lot. And I, I and every time someone says like, oh, he's difficult or she's difficult, I'm like, okay, you know, it's like, this is like, you mean that person said no, you know, you know, and, and, and I think that there are some people who are more sensitive than others, but that's okay if you know how to guide, you yeah. know, and, um, yeah. you know. Yeah, um, business has always told me you can't trust what other people say about people because you don't know what that experience was or the people around them. It's mm -hmm. like, it's up to us all individuals, professionals to have our own experience with people and understand that. It's like, it's so funny. It's like, as everyone's talking about their background as how they came, like I started out as a bartender. And to me- There you go. Better, That's why you're good. <laughs> there is a better people management skill than being in a bar with 200 people who are coming at you for drinks and understanding how to do it. We need more bartenders to be policemen because, you know, it's so fucked. I'm just like, you know, uh, the bar bartender is a great place to begin for all positions of power, I feel. It just teaches you about, you know, people and like, you know, yeah. and, 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 you know, it's, it's the age old thing, like, you know, people skills, but it is a way in our business, you know, understanding, you know, what, what makes people tick. And that's, you know, as you said, it's like, that's just the essence of individuals within the business. It's part of how we put teams together. It's like understanding. It's like everything's a jigsaw puzzle, right? And how are these pieces going to fit together to make a beautiful, lovely picture? You know, that, yeah. that's what all of our process is, I suppose. Yeah. And, I, you know, and I, my talent was questioned most of my career. And, you know, and it still happens. Like, I, I think like, fuck, God, okay, I did this. Now people will trust me. And then I do this other thing and people are like, well, yeah, but can she, can she do that? You know? And it's, and so I also, um, I don't know. I, my brother has a, uh, auditory processing disorder. And I think that I had to learn when I was young, how to re explain something in a way it was just mysterious what went in and what didn't you know and how but didn't mean he was stupid you know and so i had to really be careful that the way i talked to him didn't make him feel stupid that's hard for a brother and sister in general <laughs> you know i mean that's like and i but i'm so grateful to my brother because that experience of um okay he doesn't get what i'm saying so i have to say it this way or he's distracted by my impatience like that for anyone that has like someone in their family with a sort of processing, you know, something like, I don't want to say disorder because it just, you know, it's just not how, how I, I process things, you know, it's so helpful to remember how much your attitude can distract someone from hearing you, you know, and, and sometimes you do need to be the big bad wolf. Like sometimes people have to be like, but you know, I try to take the Mary Poppins approach kind of like we we do not do that in this house you know like so I've definitely terrified some people but I try to check myself and I'm not perfect you know that it's not based on uh personal attack it's not based on it's not rage it's you know it's like it's a responsibility being in power 
and it will always be a learning experience. And each person and how they process information is a blessing if you're listening because you're learning another language. Like, you know, oh, this is how I explain this to this person. And now I know that new human language of that a specific person, you know, and I don't get people that are like, I shouldn't have to, uh, I shouldn't have to keep learning. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. Why? Why is that an achievement? <laughs> no, it, it, it's not an achievement. You're absolutely right. It's like, <laughs> well what? said. Um, I I do want to. There, there's a couple of questions that have come in uh, that okay. we didn't address that I do want to ask because uh, there's a great one here that ties in Cave's process with Alex. So, um, in in particular about the house that you guys chose, um, and the question is. Um, you know, obviously it's a big deal re-wallpapering someone's house and earning the trust of that person yeah. to know that, you know, you're not going to fuck their place up. And the yeah. question, did you have to have conversations with Alex about uh, the textures um, that you were going to put up on the wall to make sure that that went with the idea of what she was proposing in costumes? And then also expanding upon that, um, yeah. how did you choose the particular furniture in the house for Autumn's vision? Um, well, I worked with my set decorator, Stella, who brought forward lots of beautiful bits of furniture, fabrics, you know, so when we, so when we, you know, which were, we re-upholstered various pieces of furniture. So when we, um, for example, when we walked around the house with um, Alex's fabric swatches and wallpaper swatches and paint swatches, we kind of set them up against each other and, with, you know, and, and uh, Alex, well, Alex's um, assistant said, well, this dress will be born in this room and it's going to, you know, these are the colour choices that Alex, you know, was thinking. So, and then Autumn would look at them, we'd look at them very carefully, all of them, and try and see what worked where, when. And also there's, we visualised um, the rooms as well with concepts um, after the event as well. So, yeah. It was a slow it's, it's also a series of trying to trick your like refresh your eyes, you know, because you're like you get used to something and so you sometimes it's good to put the wrong thing in. Yeah. You yeah. know, like that's again trust. Like if you're like, why'd she put that in? You know, then you're you guys are fucked. Like, you know, you gotta be like, oh, okay, that doesn't work because of this. Take it out. Oh, it feels better. Sometimes that's how you kind of decide something by putting the wrong thing in, right? You know? Yeah, and it wasn't a quick pro exactly. It's a it was a slow process of this you know back forward, here back i found forward. i found actually one of oh I don't yeah. know if you can see so this was like you know uh i can't see wallpaper um let me see if you know this is like a series of fabrics together sorry because it's bleaching out there that might be you know that's these are the kind of things we were doing these are you know it was, the other thing we've talked a lot about color it was also when you were getting to upholstery cave it was also about the scale of pattern wasn't it exactly yeah and, and, and that was okay. really that was really important because because you were buying you know fabric in yardage uh, to be able look to at this beautiful this. book that um this is one of the pages in alex's mm -hmm. um book that we were this is we were pulling like you know pieces of fabric out of these sleeves and throwing them around in this cave had paint big paint swatches something that i've uh that i that i could advise people that are love color but like worry about translating it to a, a bigger team is that i did this one job um 
in Kiev, it was a commercial and, and so there was a language barrier and, and there was a really specific color story going on and there was wallpaper and this. So what uh, the production designer did for me was, cause we oft, often work walking around with paint swatches that are this big and you're trying to fold down things and stuff. So we picked a bunch of colors that they painted about this big and we have these big pieces of oversized paint swatches. That has been really helpful and actually painted instead of printed most people I hope would know now that when you print a color in your printer it's not accurate so by taking the paint and painting like a sort of swatch this big and having a bunch of swatches it just even if it wasn't the final color it really helped to have that texture of paint and, yeah. and fabric and something you know and so the, I would advise that is like a really great way to we have very big swatches like that because you can't do it from small ones and also the other thing that you had to think about you know, is this is this room going to be an evening? You know, night light changes everything. Candlelight changes everything. You know, mm -hmm. um, you have to consider all these different things. And we did actually camera test specific things as well. You know, mm -hmm. Chris, you know, had the camera lighting conditions with then you add filters oh. lenses we had some star wars uh filters that were early star wars that were that were we were pretty nerded out about um chris blauvelk you know is like uh that the dp is like an essential like each person is another you know once he was on board we'd started this whole thing once he came from doing kelly's movie he dove right in with this and helping us go like, yeah, yeah, that would translate as this in candlelight, you know, yeah. or, or I could help you with that by, you know, a lot of people talk about Barry Lyndon being lit by candlelight. Well, they, you know, I mean, it's online, you know, you see how they did it, but you know, a, a, our memory of our memory of candlelight is not fading always complete darkness on the outside of that orb you know because our eyes see so much more than the camera can so what you're trying to do is not necessarily always repeat what real life is you're trying to repeat what your memory is and that also is a that story is affected by that if it's a romantic moment things glow more you know and and uh and or whatever you know or or you know sometimes the darkness becomes comforting and sensual you know and so so you know, uh, Barry Lyndon, you know, there was a bouncing off of something to give a little bit of texture in the background of those candlelit um, moments. And so we talk a lot about whether what type of candlelight feeling we were going to get in each scene and what how important that was to the story or all the candles lit, you know, is. Yeah. I mean, for example, when we're doing the carriage scene, um, uh, when they leave the Christmas party, it's that fabric is so close to the costume right and, it, and it's dark as well and that fabric had a lovely quality you know it was slightly satiny it was actually like alex's fabrics it was an original um you know 19, um, 18th century fabric um sorry 19th century fabric and um so we camera tested that you know to yeah. see if it was good in a small confined space with the lovely costume and, and how that all worked together. So everything was, you know, looked upon, looked at in, in, at many levels, you know, lighting yeah. levels, mm. reflective of fabric levels. And uh, also when you're making, like you're deciding whether you're trying to romanticize someone or make fun of them, you know, and so like Maurice, you know, or I, I don't know if it's Maurice or, or Alex, but you know, like in the, there's a dinner scene where Emma's pissed off 
and jealous of Jane Fairfax and she had this little thing in her hair with a bobble so that when she turned her head it's kind of you know <laughs> you know because I, I think all of us have seen like someone in some fancy outfit but when they're pissed off or they're acting like a monster it becomes comical you know what made them seem chic and gorgeous like becomes hilarious you know and so we talk a lot about and talk with the actors too you know, we're making fun of your character in this moment. Your character is glorious in this moment. Your character is suffering, you know, like all this clarity is going through all the departments. That's really important. The other critical thing that Autumn did with me and Alex and Maurice is that we sat down and we page turned the script in very fine detail. Yeah. yeah. But what happened in the scene, where they were, what what were they doing, what was the background to it? It was just done in such enormous detail, you know, that then gave us kind of, you know, advised us how to progress in certain areas or how not to, what we needed to do together. You know, it was, every, nothing was left to chance in the sense of yeah. we really looked at everything very forensically. That comes and from that my is early really days. That comes from my early days. Like a, a funny version of that misunderstanding is that when I saw the cover for a Wilco record, called Wilco, um, uh, it was supposed to be a different concept for the cover. And but Jeff Tweedy had sent me this picture of the Who on the back of a trolley car with a baby elephant. Like it's just kind of a wild vibe, you know. Like and it was fun. And um, and so he's like, I'm thinking this vibe for the shoot. He I knew he meant like um you know, the vibe, <laughs> you know, or just there's something about this I love, you know, that's how, but then what I did was I sent it to my production designer who, my props guy who had gone to Milwaukee early to, because we didn't have much of a budget, so he went to go kind of hunt through the flea markets there, you know, so that was like, spend a little more on hotel rooms, this is the kind of thing, like, what are you spending your money on, so spend a little more to get him there earlier to find more you know, inexpensive props and stuff. So I sent him the picture without explaining. And then a day later he called, he's like, okay, I can't find a baby elephant in Milwaukee, <laughs> but I found you a camel. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> I, was like, I didn't even remember there being a baby elephant. And I was like, oh my God. And then, and then I was like, and then I started joking with Jeff Tweedy. I was, I was texting him, I was like, so about the camel you know and then it was so funny that i was like wait are we really doing the camel and he's like so the bears in the woods yeah we're doing the camel and then that that became that album cover but so that was like a a, a good mistake that happened but you know it can be really bad sometimes so i learned to take the time to try to explain what i'm picturing or at least to say that i don't know <laughs> because there have been a lot of hilarious misunderstandings you know no that's great that one. You know, I always, I mean, the, what I refer to as the page turn with the few key people, like right before you start is so valuable in, you know, the immediate creative team, just really understanding what the director is going for, just yeah. sitting there and reviewing the pages because, you know, yeah. oftentimes, how many times is there something that's not written or it's written in the direct this and it's like, yeah. you know, let's find that out early rather than, you know, three weeks yeah. out from shooting that it's not how it's written on the page. Well, yeah, because like the AD and the, the you know, day-to-day -day producer, like their job is to like make sure this shit happens, right? So if you're not telling them like, don't do, no, 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 not that thing. It's changed now, you know, like, and so, you know, and, and uh, like I said earlier, like uh, as much as I would like to talk to everybody 
you run out of time to communicate personally, you know? And so depending on the AD to talk for me in a lot of situations. And if I'm not, if I'm like, don't bother me now, which is definitely a gut instinct. Cause you're just like, I'm so overwhelmed. So many questions, you know? But if you don't deal with those questions from the AD, like it's the crazy telephone game and you've got a camel <laughs> instead of an elephant and you never wanted an elephant and, uh, <laughs> and everyone's really wasted a lot of time trying to make it happen, you know? So that's, uh, yeah. Oh my God, that's so wonderful. Um, <laughs> That, that, I mean, this has been some great, I mean, you guys obviously have an, a wonderful chemistry together and, you know, a couple of people have just chimed in, not even just with questions, just saying how much the set of Emma must have been wonderful with the type of energy that you guys have. So uh, it's, it's just been really great and really, we really appreciate you guys coming on board and sharing, you know, your experiences and your thought process uh, with us and you know, people who love to chime in and listen, because, you know, we like to be here for a little bit of a learning tool and people learn by hearing, you know, people who've done it, tell the stories about, you know, how it gets done. You yeah. know, there's no better teaching mechanism than that. Yeah. Um, so I want to thank you, all three of you for please joining us here today. And I do want to thank, there's some behind the scenes, the film round table is several of us. Um, we've got Matthew Wolf, who's an integral part of this as well. Uh, we've got uh, Aaron Weil, who uh, helps out all the time, and uh, Maria Prieto. So between the four of us, we try and put these things on and, and, and bring filmmaker friends of ours on here just to discuss the process. And well, It's really uh, an honor to do this because I, um, you know, I, 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 I learned so much from hearing stories from people over the years, you know, um, uh, and I love you know to be able to share some of it in all the weird wild ways things can go wrong i think are helpful you know i hope so and right and right how they can go right it's a great learning tool and, and people people just love it people just love to hear the process and yeah and the steps that everyone's taken to get here so uh, thank you thank you everyone for coming thanks thanks alex and Kate for making time i really appreciate it, your um uh, uh, unending support you know thank you yeah. thank you for having me okay thank you. Thank all right and thank you you're such a great moderator yeah, i was really it. hope i i really i was really hoping that that you would be our moderator <laughs> i really enjoyed the conversations i mean i've enjoyed all the conversations that I've seen but you know I think you know it's uh you're the OG moderator on this so well, I, um, I appreciate so it I you really, really fun and and thank you everyone I hope I hope to professionally cross paths with some if not all of you at some point yeah right? yeah take yeah. care everyone and please okay. bye -bye. all right bye bye bye, -bye. <laughs> bye. lovely to see you Hello. bye, -bye. bye.